Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. O gracious and most merciful Father, we pray that as we read your word that we would see your steadfast love as it endures forever. Lord, that you would put us not to shame, that we would have our eyes fixed upon all of your word and the promises that lie therein. Lord, help us to be able to walk with an upright heart, to be able to learn your righteous rules, that we might be able to walk in a way and a manner worthy of our calling. But above all, Lord, we give you thanks and praise that you have promised not to forsake us, that you will be by our side, that you will be with us through the difficult times. And we pray that you do that this very evening. In Christ's name, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. This is God's holy and errant life-giving word. Please take heed how you hear. I want you to know, brothers, that what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, and to all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Petrua and Felicia Felicity were early Christian martyrs. In the Roman province of North Africa, both these young women, Petrusha was a young noblewoman, and Felicity was her slave and fellow believer. They were both in prison during a time where faith was to be put on trial and the punishment was death. They were later executed for their refusal to renounce their faith. Petrua's diary describing her experiences has been preserved and considered a significant account of early Christian martyrdom. Her pagan father tried to convince her that she should turn from her foolish ways. And she points to a vase and explains that that is a vase for that is what that is called. And she says, I am a Christian for that is who I am. To call me something else is to deny reality. A great and glorious story of of punishment and persecution, but these two women standing strong and firm in the faith. Her last words, recorded, say this. As she speaks to other prisoners around her, she says, you must all stand fast in the faith and love one another. And do not be weakened by what we have gone through. Even on death's door, she seeks to be able to encourage other believers to be able to stand firm 
to love one another. Tertullian says that the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. And here in this letter we see this glorious truth of the proclamation thriving in the darkest of prisons. This letter written from prison, Paul writes this often is called a letter of joy in the midst of punishment and death. Joy is at its center. But we see his joy comes through this passage tonight because Paul is able to rejoice because Christ is preached. So what we see in this passage first is the advancing gospel. The advancing gospel. Paul is taken to prison because he is preaching the gospel. He encourages the church in Philippi, as he has mentioned in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul says that in verse 12, that I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. This imprisonment is the last imprisonment of Paul's life. In Acts 28, we find out the very ends of what uh, uh, Luke records. In the very last two verses, it says that Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Christ Jesus and all boldness and without hindrance. In prison, his rubric is, is measured not with the comfort of his life, but this simple question that he asked, does this advance the gospel? This is the highest priority that Paul has in his life. More than that, Paul feels that this church needs to know that what is happening is advancing the gospel. A church that's separated from distance. And yet, this church needs to know that Paul is stuck in prison and the gospel is advancing. What a great measurement, not just for us as individuals. Does this, what I do, invest and advance the gospel? But also as a church, To be able to ask this question, does this advance the gospel? Is this the question that we are asking most predominantly? That Christ, before he ascended into heaven, gave a mission to his church to be able to accomplish while he is on earth. To be able to make disciples of all nations. Do we ask this question, does this help us with that? Not to say that other things do not matter, but here Paul says that he is in prison and what is happening is advancing the gospel. So why is the gospel advancing in this difficult time where Paul is placed? Paul gives us two reasons and two ways the gospel is advancing. The first reason, he says, is the gospel is advancing by persecution. The gospel is advancing by persecution. You see this clearly in verses 13 and 14. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. 
The most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to be able to speak the word without fear. Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel. And through his testimony, all the imperial guard and everyone else knows he's in there because he's preaching the gospel. He's not placed in there for being rude. He's not placed in there for civil disobedience. He's in there for preaching the gospel and everybody knows that. We don't know more much about what this time is like during this Roman imprisonment, biblically speaking. We have those few verses in Acts. Paul in Acts chapter 25, as we read before, as we continue to look at as our scripture reading, Paul states that he wants to appeal to Caesar. And thus he's taken there. In verse 16 of Acts chapter 28, when he came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Under house arrest, unjustly treated in a corrupt system, time and time again, people refrain, the leaders explain that he is put there on unjust terms. He shouldn't be in prison. But yet he is. But Paul says this is great. Why? Because his metric says the gospel is advancing. Even at the end of Philippians, he's able to say all the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. Here he is under house arrest, and here there's people in Caesar's household that greet this church in Philippi. He is a witness, a light in this dark situation of this persecution around him. Chains which he bears. He is a witness because all of those around him know that he's there for the gospel. He's there to preach the gospel. He's there to proclaim the gospel. He's in chains because of Christ. He calls himself an ambassador in Ephesians chapter 6. Ambassador in chains that I might declare boldly as I ought to speak. He serves God as people are serving him, and 2 Timothy explains, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of one for us, for he often refreshed me as I was not, and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me, and may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, that you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. He's there and he's supported by churches throughout the region, by Christians. But it's not like he's living a life of great luxury. He explains in 2 Timothy later on in chapter 2. Remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound in chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ with eternal glory. Here he uses words of suffering, that he's treated like a criminal, all for unjust reasons, but yet he is joyous because the gospel goes forth. The gospel is advancing not merely just to the guards who sit beside him, 
watching his attitude, but also hearing his message. But also, he says, the gospel is advancing because people see him in chains and they're emboldened by this. They see him suffering and they stand. And they are emboldened by it. He points this out in verse 14. They're becoming confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. And they're they're going out boldly speaking and proclaiming the word without fear. He's seeing that. He's in prison. He cannot do much. He's under house arrest. And yet there's people that watch and see him. And they're going forth and proclaiming the gospel. Carrying it through. This is exactly what the apostles prayed for in chapter 4 of Acts. That they're stuck in prison. They're threatened with punishment. And they go back and they pray to the sovereign God. And they say, look upon the threats and grant your servants to continue to speak the word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Persecution is not fun. However, God still uses it to advance his gospel. A great witness is a willingness to be able to suffer for something you know to be true, that you cannot deny reality. Martin Luther um, Martin Lloyd-Jones states that, isn't it interesting in the Beatitudes, that right after when he speaks of peacemakers, then comes those who are persecuted. Matthew chapter 5, it said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. But then right after those who are blessed to be peacemakers, he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're not persecuted for being uh, unloving. They're not persecuted for being arrogant, proud, or boastful. They're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Not for being loud and annoying, but as a testimony. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, to the end, let us start with a few negatives. It does not say, blessed are those who are persecuted, but they are objectionable. It does not say, blessed are those who are having a hard time in their Christian life because they are being difficult. It does not say, blessed are those who are being persecuted as Christians because they are seriously lacking in wisdom and are foolish and unwise in what they are regard in being their testimony. It is not that. There is no need for one to elaborate this. But so often one has known Christian people who are suffering mild persecution entirely because of their own folly. Because of something either in themselves or in what they are doing. But the promise doesn't apply to such people. It is for those who suffer for righteousness sake. When the advancing of the gospel is the rubric of our life that we shape everything around... It deals with how we react, how we talk, how we love, how we do everything. We could spend more time on this, but let's continue to move. The second thing that Paul is encouraged by is he sees the gospel advancing, not merely just under persecution, but he says the gospel is advancing 
by preaching. You see this clearly in verses 15 to 18. Indeed, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others goodwill. The latter do out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Here Paul gives two classifications of preachers. Now one are true gospel preachers, and the other gospel preachers have false motives. The negative preachers, Paul says, they preach because of envy, rivalry, selfish ambition. Imagine a young man coming before Presbytery willing to be able to seek ordination as a teaching elder. And you ask them, why do you feel called to preach? What are your motives to preach? And their answer is not, I seek the, the advancement of God's kingdom and for his glory, but, well, I saw this other guy do it and I thought I could do it better. I really just don't like this other person and I want to have a bigger church than them. Show them how it's done. You know what? I really love attention. And when people look and listen at me, that's why I want to be a preacher. No one says this, but Paul says that they exist. Now, we have no idea who these preachers are. Later in, in, the, in the letter of Philippians, we'll meet of these boasting Jews who seek to be able to compare their resumes and accomplishments. However, it does not seem that this is the case here. Many theories are out here, but the reason there are many theories is that it's not clear. We have no idea because we're not told. So what are we told? The thing that Paul really highlights is the bad motives. They're preaching the gospel because of bad motives, selfish reasons. They're hypocrites. They're preaching a a message of self-sacrifice through Jesus, and they're doing it selfishly. I remember a sermon illustration of a pastor explaining a time when he turned around and lost his temper, yelled at his kids, and he said, leave me alone. I need some time to be able to finish this sermon on love. Now you use this example, but it's really in the end, he speaks of how he was deeply convinced and convicted and cut to the heart. He goes back to his children and asks for forgiveness. However, imagine a person that didn't have that conviction, that change of the spirit. Paul says they're selfish, they're envious, they're filled with rivalry. Not only they're doing that out of these reasons, but they're also preaching the gospel thinking that it's going to afflict uh, Paul in prison. Wrap your head around this. They're trying to preach the gospel of good news. And the reasons they're doing it is they want Paul to be harmed. They want harm to be brought upon Paul for being in prison, for preaching the gospel that they're then trying to preach. Wouldn't you want to know more about this situation? But Paul is not focused on them. 
Paul doesn't give us any of this information. He only gives us his response. His response is rejoicing. Because the gospel is advancing. The gospel message is pre-proclaimed even through these negative preachers with selfish motives. The glorious truth in, in Romans chapter 10 is Paul explains that for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing on riches that call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He explains that, he later explains that faith comes through hearing. That God's message, God's word go out and the seeds of the gospel are sown and the spirit works in people's lives and regenerates their hearts. And Paul is not worried about who is sowing the seeds of the good gospel. The gospel seeds are going out and he's rejoicing that Christ is proclaimed. That the spirit can use these wicked men with wicked motives to be able to preach a fruitful, faithful gospel. He rejoices in the truth that the Spirit is the one that sows the seeds, that the Spirit is the one that grows. The Spirit uses the message, not the messenger. And God uses vessels for honor and dishonor. That every single messenger is sinful. If we was reliant on perfect obedience of the preacher then no one would faithfully be able to hear the gospel of its own accord. There's always going to be some sense of sin in the preacher. Maybe not to the extent where Paul is saying that all of us would do it out of selfish ambitions or rivalry or envy. But if sin is the seed in the heart of the preacher, then no one would be able to hear the gospel. But God uses his message through a messenger to be able to grow and have the hearts changed. Even with wrong, preachers with wrong motives can advance the gospel and Paul rejoices. Whether it's proclaimed in pretense or whether it's proclaimed in truth, he says Christ is proclaimed. And in that he rejoices. Christ is proclaimed. Now, I would never suggest that we take on these practices. Clearly, Paul is elevating those who faithfully, truly proclaim the truth of the gospel. He does not elevate their actions. He shows the negative, but what he shows is God's power to be able to use that negative motives, even to be able to advance the gospel. The message is, is going forth. The truth of the gospel is coming. It's exactly what Jesus said to his disciples. When they come, John comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, but we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. 
For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Here John is like, we need to stop them. They're not true disciples. And Jesus says that we do not need to stop them. God is bigger than that. So we have these gospel preachers with wrong motives, but Paul also mentions there are true gospel preachers that have good motives, from goodwill, he says in verse 15. They do it out of love in verse 16. They know that Paul has been put there for the defense of the gospel. He says that they proclaim not out of pretense like the negative preachers, but in truth. Here these preachers are preaching not out of envy, rivalry, but out of goodwill, love, and truth. The boldness which is stated before is they see Paul suffering in prison because he's in there for Christ. and Their boldness comes out to be able to proclaim the gospel. And Paul rejoices because again the gospel is advancing. The message is going forth. And what is he doing? He's stuck in a dark prison. Day in and day out. He's unable to move, but the gospel is not stationary. The gospel is not bound like he is bound. The gospel goes forth and he rejoices at this truth. He rejoices because Christ is proclaimed. He is not the center of this proclamation. Christ is. In Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas go to Lystra and they heal a man and the people start explaining, exclaiming that they are gods in likeness of men. And Paul and Barnabas want to make sure that they are not worshipped as God is. They don't want to be the center of this message. They don't want to be known as, as the reason. They don't want to be called gods or worshipped. But when the advancement of the gospel is key, You rejoice when the gospel is proclaimed. When God is worshipped, not the preacher. Where the gospel is praised, not the messenger. And Paul, I'm sure, knows that his time is coming. The time on this earth is short. He writes this letter to Timothy. And he explains to Timothy that his time is coming. The end is near. He writes later in the book of Philippians, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And Paul understands the important truth that helps him to be able to rejoice. That even after he is gone, that the gospel will advance through persecution, through preaching, the Christ church remains. Even when he's in prison, Christ's church grows. That this church in Philippi needs to know that the gospel is going forth. This church that he holds in his heart is not his church. It is Christ's church. 
And Christ has promised that he will build his church. He builds his church through the preaching and proclamation of the gospel. He builds his church through the persecution of his saints as witnesses in dark places. He promises that although the gates of hell will bash upon the the gates, they will not be able to prevail against it. That Christ builds his church. Therefore, let us rejoice in this truth. The Christ is proclaimed. The gospel is advancing through persecution, through preaching. The gospel still spreads forth. All because God is the one that works in the hearts of sinners. That he has promised that the gospel seed sown will grow and bear forth fruit. That he has promised that the church will grow and advance because he is the one building it. Let us stand firm in the proclamation of the gospel. Let us stand firm when we face persecution for righteousness sake. As we proclaim as lights in dark places. As we stand firm on his word. That we might one day boldly proclaim and confess Christ as Lord before others, even if it means death. We proclaim boldly, lovingly, truthfully, out of a heart of goodwill. Let us tell of his story of salvation and declare it until the ends of the earth. Even if that means death and punishment, pain and suffering. Because we know his gospel advances through preaching and persecution. One of my favorite characters in the Pilgrim's Progress is Faithful. He is exactly that. Faithful. Pilgrim walks through his, his journey, Christian. He gets to the end with Hopeful as well and they cross the river of death. Faithful does not finish his journey at the celestial city like crossing the river. He's put on trial in Vanity Fair. He's questioned for his faith. And yet he stands strong. He resists what the pressures that are put upon him. He is put to death in Vanity Fair. It was not easy, but he stood strong and firm. It actually encouraged Christian on his journey. Although it was a great loss, he still sung praises to God for the life that he saw in faithful. Let us stand firm. Let us proclaim the truth of the gospel. Let us stand in the midst of persecution that we would rejoice as Paul rejoices that the gospel advances. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Let us pray. A gracious and most merciful Father, we thank you that the truths of your word are found throughout. Lord, that your ways are not our ways. Lord, who would imagine the gospel proclaiming eternal life often ended in death? 
Lord, that those who put their faith and trust in you throughout all generations were persecuted for living a godly life, put to death through the sword, through the stake, through fire. Lord, but those great cloud of witnesses that have gone before died as a testimony to the truth. Lord, that they trusted in you, standing strong and firm before men, understanding that they would have to stand before God. Help us, Lord, to be able to be strong and firm in the midst of persecution. Help us to be able to preach your gospel faithfully, out of goodwill, truth, and love. Help us, Lord, to be able to rejoice as we see your gospel advance. Help us to be able to put that at the forefront of our minds in how we live and walk in this life. That you would receive all glory, honor, and praise, which is due your name, which we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.